The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Hey, everybody, live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square. This is Fast Money, and here's what's on tap tonight. Can't win them all. The streaks for the Dow and NASDAQ are over. Was the market's late-day sell-off just profit-taking or after a big run or the start of a meaningful pullback? We will debate that one. Plus, shoe dog or dynamo, shares of Nike struggling for much of the year, then rebounding big time in the past two months. Will earnings lace up more upside or send the stock back down? And later reports after the bell that Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount are in early talks to merge. We will have the latest and ask whether a deal would start a wave of media mergers. I'm Tyler Matheson in for Melissa Lee. Glad you could join us coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ. On the desk tonight, Steve Grasso. Good to see you, Steve. Karen Feinerman, Guy Adami, and Julie Beal joins us remotely. We start with a sharp late-day sell-off that ended the market's win streak in a big way. The Dow dropping 476 points with every member, everyone down on the session. It was uh, its worst percentage loss since way back on October 3rd. And uh, all that after the index had notched a new intraday record earlier in the day. Meanwhile, the S&P and NASDAQ both falling about a percent and a half. All three now in the red for the week, putting them in danger of snapping a seven-week run of winning performance. Every S&P sector lower on the day. Consumer staples, energy, discretionary, biggest losers there. And take a look at treasuries. The yield on the 10-year dropped as low as 3.85 percent. That's the lowest it has been since late July. So was all this action just a little profit-taking after the run we've had, or is there more maybe trouble brewing under the surface here? Guy Adami, what do you think? Is there there anything to really worry about here? Well, I mean, I've been worried incorrectly for a while, so I'm probably the wrong person to ask, but Steve, Karen, Julie, Alban Bosch, I'll say this. One of the things, many things that have concerned me about this market are these zero-day till expiry options, which when things going higher, nobody seems to care. When things going lower, everybody starts to point the finger at. And volatility is a great thing when you're shortening and getting paid, but it also works against you. And around 2.30 today, something clearly happened. But when you have it happen on a day where we make a new 52-week high, we test the all-time highs effectively in the S&P and reverse the way we did, you, even if you're the most bullish person in the world, you have to take notice of today's price action. I was on the air at 2.30 today. It was nothing I said, I promise you. I promise you. Steve, what do you think? Yeah, so, so I, I did take notice of it today. But if you, if you look at it, rates have been falling. I think that's a tailwind for the markets. We're coming up to year end. We've had such an such outsized rally and such a run up that you would pro- – I don't want to say you'd be crazy not to lock in a little bit of profit – but, but I think once somebody sells, everyone else has an itchy trigger finger. I think that it just spirals out of control. So I, I, I do uh, agree with Guy. I think it could have been options related. There were a couple of Taiwan headlines around there, just rumors. But the, if you want a reason to sell, you could find 10 of them. Yeah. Julie, was there a predicating event here today that you couldn't identify for why the market turned a tail the way it did at 230? 
No, I, I don't think so. It's hard to really point to anything. And I'm not sophisticated enough to pick up on these micro movements. But what I will say is, you know, you've seen a clear revaluation in the market that's related to interest rates. And what is going to have to take us from here is earnings and fundamentals are actually going to be what propel the market forward. We've already kind of seen in the benefits of lower interest rates. And now the hard work of fundamentals has to take play in order for us to keep pushing higher. And how do you evaluate those fundamentals? What do you think's in the in the cards? Well, you know, I think the most important point is if we continue to see good, strong employment, then the consumer remains healthy and then most of our economy is okay. But I think the sectors that are showing some weakness you know, in consumer, it's really a function of are you creating value for your customers? And so in the old days of the pandemic, when we didn't have anywhere to spend our money and we were looking for dopamine, we would buy literally anything. I could sell macrame mm -hmm. for all I care. Mm -hmm. But now you really have to provide value for your customers. And that's true even on the business sector, too. Value is really important to people in an inflationary environment, even as prices soften. Karen, it was some consumer staples that took hits today. General Mills among them. Uh, FedEx, not a consumer staple, but a mm -hmm. transport. Um, what are you seeing? Well, it's interesting. I'm, you know, it's a big move, clearly, within a couple of hours, or an hour and a half, really. And if you step back a little bit, it just takes us to where we were Friday around lunchtime. So it's not that giant in the scheme of things. However, it's a very precipitous move. Normally, when you see something like that, you would you hear rumors and then you hear something more solid than rumors. We don't have that yet. We were talking in the green room. Do we have anything yeah. really specific to point to? No. So a lot of what the guy's been saying just is it, you know, stops or just momentum and people think, all right, that's it. The rally's over. Like, I'm always long. So. I'm going to be long into this. I'm going to be long after this fall. I, I think that just out of steam, maybe, although I thought it would last until year end because I think there's a lot of chasing going on just to sort of, you know, performance was ahead of most managers. I don't have a great reason to explain it. Um, Nobody really seems yeah. to. I mean, and I, I think we're kind of flummoxed here. Steve, you mentioned a moment <laughs> I, ago some chatter uh, on <clears throat> Taiwan that has kind of been in the in the ether uh, right. on and off. Uh, concerns about what Xi's ultimate objectives are there. He's been pretty transparent about what they He's are. He's been very transparent about it. And, and, and just to, just to um, probably make a finer point on it, I, don't, I think this is a one-day event. I, don't, I, don't, I think we're going to have that get back on the bull for the rest of the year. I, th I think people won't be afraid to rally probably into year-end. I think you're going, this market's going to be tested somewhere in January. Earnings have bottomed. For me, people, as what Julie said, people have jobs. People are going to be spending money. The, I think the economy is okay. The market will be tested sometime in January. What do you think? Well, it's interesting, you know, in terms of Taiwan, and this comes after the President Xi meeting with Biden in San Francisco, whenever that was, a few weeks ago. Now the headlines are coming out that effectively President Xi said, we're going to take Taiwan's by any means necessary. And that, you know, listen, there are all t different kinds of news stories that I'm reading now, so there's clearly something there, something we've thought for a while. I mean, if in fact that's the case, that's, pr I think Th that's, that's a game changer. That, that's a bit of a game changer, <laughs> especially for some of these high-flying technology stocks. So that is out there. But, you know, Steve might be right. One-day event, I mean, being bullish is being right. But when you see a reversal with the kind of volume we saw at a level that we haven't seen in basically three years-ish for the S&P 500, you have to pick up your head and take notice. Yeah, yeah. Thoughts? I just feel like if there were, why didn't we hear, we heard a little rumbling about that three weeks ago or so, whenever that was, I don't even remember. 
That's a long time ago mm -hmm. from now to have this all of a sudden. Seems to be reemerging. No, I hear What you. happened today? And information flows so freely now yeah. and so quickly. I would think if there was something more tangible, we would have heard it. Yeah. All right. Okay, so more. Last words. One more now on today's market pull pullback. Let's bring in Tony Dwyer, chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Tony, welcome. Uh, you yesterday, I believe it was, uh, put out a note uh, talking about the current extreme overbought condition in the broad equity market. It's as if the market heard you. <laughs> if only I had that kind of power, I'd be, uh, I'd be on the, vi the video in a commercial. By the way, welcome. Good to have you with us. It's great to be here, Tyler. You know, it, it's um, as we're talking in the green room, if I, if I walked up to Guy and I, I told Guy a bald-faced lie right to him, and then the next statement I said to Guy was, this one's right, I'm, t I'm telling the truth, you would question it, right? So the note that you're referring to, Tyler, is we called it, now it's proving time after you've had such a big rally. In October 27th, when the market was poised for, you know, had set the stage for a rally, what was it telling us then? Everybody was thinking it was going to go to 6% on the 10-year. Um, the Eight of the 11 sectors were negative on the year. All the indices except for the Dow and, and or the S&P and the NASDAQ were down on the year. What was it telling us? It was time to buy. So we're now in opposite day. And we hear that the market's telling us that because it's making new highs and it's rolling that we're going to have a great economy and interest rates are going to continue to go down. Well, the last time I told us something, it lied. Mm -hmm. And I, mm -hmm. I don't, this isn't a comment on FedEx, but it was making a 52-week high. It was going up every single day. And then they came out with weaker numbers and it's down 11%. So the lie, and that's the risk the lie now is? The lie could be that everything's great. The economy is mm -hmm. a perfect soft landing. Powell got it exactly right. You know, they raised rates in a historic way into a generationally levered system. We're at 18 times earnings, excluding the MAG-7. So it's hard after the rally. In Oct on October 27, Tyler, it was identifiable. You've never been that oversold on the, on the weekly stochastic we use. You had the bond market at 5% on the 10-year with three events coming up. A former Fed chair was going to tell us what they were going to issue for Treasuries. You had a Fed meeting, and you had a payroll report. What were the odds that Janet Yellen, a former Fed chair who's determining the maturity duration for the issuance, is going to hurt her own administration with a bad news item? So the rally was identifiable. It's gone a lot further than I, I or most others thought. Now it's proving time. You've got to see credit improve. Who wants to question Tony? Thought. Yeah, so just to... Everybody. Play, yeah, Everybody wants to question <laughs> Tony. Tony, you're going to tell you a lie straight to your face. I was long no, going into the rally. So, no, so to, but I, I'm wondering, though, if you're, you're talking about an 18 times multiple for the, you know, the 493, I right. guess, right? Right, yeah. With rates here, and if we use the 10-year as a, you know, just the mathematical peg, that doesn't seem particularly overvalued to me. No. no and I don't, th I don't think this is a period where you go out and short. I don't know if it's a one-day event or more, but... The Fed pivoted. And what's interesting about the Fed pivot, Karen, that in this whole environment is in my career, I've seen it a bunch of times. Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait and Michael Milken wrecked the high yield market. That's 1990 SNL crisis. Then you had 1994 Orange County. They made a pivot. Then you had 1998 with long term capital. They made a pivot. Then you had the dot com bust with WorldCom. Pivot. God, you're going way back. Right. right? But but when they pivot, it's usually when things are really bad. They pivoted after there had been a 75 basis points drop in the bond market yield, after there was a 10% rally in the stock market. So it's very strange to me how, why they picked now to pivot. You're pointing to the December meeting as the yeah, pivot Yeah, I'm pointing point. to the December meeting. Now, I, our, we had written a piece called Higher for Shorter. 
because when you spike in a levered system to 5%, it's not sustainable. And that meant to us that rates were going to come down more than most folks thought. Well, they've done that. And again, it's proving time. If you look back in last October, October 22 to early 23, the current drop in U.S. Treasury yields, mortgage yields, and B Moody's BAA corporate credit yields is exactly the same as it is today. Yeah. So in other words, you're, you've done what you did last year. Now you've got to prove that market, it's more. But the market, from, from October forward to just last week when the, when the Fed did what it did or mm -hmm. did nothing but said what it said, uh, the market was basically telling the Fed, you're going to pivot, right? Right. And, and so, so just to push back on the we have to prove ourselves, rates are coming down. We've, we've yeah. seen that happen. But rates also spiked in, a, in an uncontrollable fashion to five. So they're coming down. Totally. So I think this is just the pendulum yeah. switching back. Dollars coming in and commodity prices have come in. That's all bullish to me. And earnings have bottomed. So haven't, haven't, hasn't the market proved itself? It, it has to, to reflect what's happened in the credit market, what's happened in the commodities market. To get that, remember, a soft landing doesn't mean you stay on the ground. It means you need to reaccelerate. You need gas to reaccelerate. You've got to open up the capital markets. You've got to open up the corporate bond market. You've got to open up secondaries, IPOs. You've got to create a selling market for the private equity holdings. There's got to be some way to reaccelerate. You need an improved outlook for money. We have the same improved outlook for money that we had into um, the rally at the end of last year. So we're, we've, got, we've got a point where most people have a mortgage below 4%. So even at 65 to 7%, you can't refi. You need more improvement to really kickstart that whole credit cycle. This, as I said in my note, this is a great start. We've had a great start. Now we need that next leg of improvement to get that reacceleration, to get the plane back off the ground. You need full fuel. And that's, and that's what we're trying to get here. All right, Tony, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Have a good holiday. Great to be with yeah, you guys, and happy holidays nice to, to all the viewer you. and you guys. It took, us, it took us on a nice walk through history there. <laughs> right, no kidding. Well, <laughs> world. Let's, let's uh, do some trading here. Julie, I don't, want to, I, I don't want to neglect you there, sitting there next to your nice tree and your lovely environment out there. How do we trade what Tony just said or this moment in the market uh, profitably between now? And, and, you, and you emphasize, I think, quite rightly that the proof is going to be in the pudding and the proof is in the form of earnings, which are going to start coming out in a little more than two weeks' time. Yeah, you know, I, I think I, I, it always comes back to this saying, right, the market is always going to do what's going to make the most number of people look stupid, right? And that was true at the beginning of the year when everyone thought there was going to be a recession. That was true in October when we thought rates were going to stay at 6 and 7%. And I think it's true right now where, you know, we really have to be thoughtful about what's the market and what's the fundamentals. And for a longer-term investor, you really have to be exposed to businesses that can participate in an up market so they have enough cyclicality to benefit if we see a reflation of demand uh particularly on the credit side but you also want to protect yourself with quality if we are if we have a bumpier or softer or weaker landing and so it's these businesses that have recurring revenue and you know that are just really strong regardless of, of market outcomes because i think there's just so much uncertainty it's really hard to know which way we're going you know, Guy, by any standard, this has been a good year in the market. The last six to eight weeks have been nothing short of spectacular, really. I mean, you look at your people looking at their portfolios, either online or receiving statements. Do people still get paper statements, I guess? I do. You do? I was the last person. Not that anybody cares. I was literally the last person at Goldman Sachs. I got a check. They call me into HR. 
for a myriad of reasons, not least of which saying you got this is you got to get a, you got to get direct deposit. I'm like, why? So it's so, so, so it's yes, been, to answer it's your been, question. It's been demonstrably a good year for equity investors. It's been a, it's been a pretty good year lately. Uh, you know, if you had bonds, I mean, you could lock in nice you know, nice yields on on bonds. What does 2024 look like to you? As good? Not as good? Hard? Uh, it would be hard to beat this I'm year. I'm hard pressed to believe it's going to be anywhere near as good or that we've seen this year in terms of individual equities, in terms of some of these indices. It just doesn't add up. I mean, right now, I think you're looking for 13 and a half, 14 percent EPS growth. The math doesn't work against mm. the GDP that people are saying now is less than one and a half percent. I mean, there are so many things to be concerned about. Leading economic indicators down 19 months in a row. Bank credit has been contracting. Yeah, we got a good unemployment data last time, but I think you're going to see this stair-step function higher in the unemployment rate. When you have an economy that's driven 73 percent by people having jobs and buying things, when credit is contracting and jobs may be going away, and you heard it from a swath of companies. Look at General Mills today. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that's bullish for next year. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break, folks. Uh, we're watching Micron After Hours uh, right now. Shares of that semi-stock on the move after it posted results. We've got details from the quarter next. Plus, new reports that Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount are talking about teaming up, merging, that is. The latest details and what a tie-up could mean for media consolidation in the new year. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money is back in two. You're watching Fast Money. Here on CNBC, we'll be right back. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Wish you could have been here between the commercials there. Wish you could have been here. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Uh, earnings alert on Micron. Shares popping after the company reported a top and bottom line beat and gave strong Q2 guidance. The conference call got underway in the last hour, and Christina Partsinavolis has been listening, has the details. Hey, Christina. Hi, Tyler. Well, Micron wants investors to know its inc- recovery is underway, and the, quote, very early stages of their growth stage. What? 
driven by generative AI. Revenues and margins improved because of higher selling prices for memory chips, and um, the CEO is expecting those prices to climb in 2024. Migron CEO continued noting inventories for memory and storage are at or near normal levels for most customers across personal computers. Specifically with PCs, they expect unit volume growth by low to mid-single digits after two years of decline and declines. And then they have uh, improved smartphone inventories as well as auto and industrial. Supply, though, could be an issue for customers. The CEO saying that its memory supply growth for fiscal 2024 is planned to be, quote, well below demand growth for both DRAM and NAND memory, driving prices even higher. And, of course, the Midas touch of NVIDIA continues, Micron CEO saying, it's in the final stages of qualifying its advanced high bandwidth memory chips for NVIDIA's next-generation GPUs, but that also means CapEx, capital expenditures, will be higher in 2024 than uh, last year. Micron CEO, though, will be on Squawk on the Street tomorrow morning for more on this price recovery within the chip world. All right, Christina, thank you very much. Let's trade Micron, Steve. What do you think? Well, NVIDIA has sucked up all the oxygen in the room, and it's up 230% year-to-date. If you look at Micron, it's up 57%. So Christina talked about NAND and DRAM. That's what, D, uh, that's what Micron is known for. If we have to power all of these different AI functionality and AI companies, we're going to need a ton of DRAM and NAND. I think it's more palatable to buy Micron versus buying something that's already outperformed. All right. Any, any Yeah, you got to believe this is a trough quarter. I mean, for the record, they pre-announced this quarter, I think, on November 28th. So they were slightly better than the lousy pre-announcement less than a month or so ago. The stock closed that day around 78. We're 82 now. It all makes sense. Again, you got to believe this is a trough and things will get better from here. And this is the worst it's going to get. And things will reaccelerate because the quarter by itself obviously was not all that good. It's your belief system that they're going to be at the forefront of this AI revolution and Micron could be a reasonable valuation based on that that makes the stock attractive. Julie, a thought? Yeah, I mean, the most encouraging thing I saw in this quarter was about gross margin. And that, that's what really is going to drive this business forward. And it's just a reflection that inventory is finally getting to places where they have some control of pricing. I think that makes sense. And it probably is a trough quarter. And if you are trading in semiconductors, this makes sense. But if you're a longer-term investor and you really care about fundamentals, the fact that their earnings deteriorated the way that they did just reflects how much of a commodity product this is. And so for longer-term investors, I don't think it's really that attractive, even right. you know, relative to NVIDIA. Faint praise for Micron there. Thank you, Julie. Appreciate it. Uh, calling them as she sees them. There's a lot more fast to come. And here's what's coming up next. A real Nike swoosh. Shares jumping over the last few months. So, can we expect the same slam dunk performance after earnings? We're running circles around that trade next. Plus, channeling your portfolio's inner animal spirit as Cat pounces on new highs heading into the new year. Can the ferocious industrial stocks keep climbing? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Nike on deck to report after the bell tomorrow. The sportswear giant sprinting into year-end, now up uh, nearly 40 points, 40, excuse me, 40 percent, percent, not points, from its September lows. Our next guest says tomorrow's results could tell a huge story about valuations in the consumer trade. BMO senior retail analyst Simeon Siegel joins us now. What do you think of Nike? They've had a, they, they were a little slow at the last two months. They've been real good. By the way, how good are they for making puns? It's just like it never stops. In no, there. no, it's, it's, there's a lot of work <laughs> going on here. So, and, and it'll continue. So good to see you guys. So I think what we're going to see right now, listen, who reports earnings the week before Christmas? I mean, that's like in and of itself. So here we're going to get the last look on consumer right after all the consumer stocks have uplifted. And so I've been watching and you know, the whole conversation now is around, is this market, is this fundamentals or is it sentimental? Right. Is it the fact that now interest rates are down, our terminal value changes and therefore multiples go up or have numbers actually moved? No numbers have moved. And so I think tomorrow we get a good result. I think that Nike generally beats, guides down, rinse and repeat. And so we'll get that. That's mm-hmm, the fundamental. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The question is going to be, do people want to own it? Do they, are they OK with the multiple? And right now, people want to own it. What is the multiple now? I can't remember. I just did this report for, uh, with my son on Nike the other day, but well, it's changed in the last two days. Yeah. You, you've gone from low, you've gone from high 20s to low 30s to mid 30s to high 30s like that. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what I mean. Numbers have that's the anticipation. And that's the market, right? That's the idea that with interest rates where they are, you change what you put in your DCF. Last quarter, I think in September, stock was 89 bucks. Inventories were down 10% against very decent sales growth. Even China was probably better than expected. But you've had this run now. Margins will improve. But to your point about valuation, is it improved enough to sort of justify this valuation? So last quarter, I'm glad you brought that up. It was fascinating. See that? See that time? Look at that. On the head. So $89. But you know what? The other side of that trade was where Lulu was. Mm -hmm. And so last quarter, you talk to any institutional investor, and they're long Lulu, short Nike. That was the trade. That's changed. Mm -hmm. Lulu has run even more. And so right now, I think this conversation, Nike gave us a good North America number last quarter. So now that should keep going. This is the difficult North America quarter. They get through this, it starts getting easier for the rest of the year. Karen? So last quarter, they seemed to get a lot of goodwill on what were some nice improvements, but not so fantastic. I mean, the inventory issue, which really weighed on them, they finally sort of started to get control of that. So what is the thing that's going to compel them forward? And I'm long. I'm a little nervous about how rich it is. I'm a sell side analyst, which means I need to out pun Tyler or kind of go with the idioms. And like the, the, every headline, every sell side analyst title said good, but not good or, or good, but not great. Good enough. Not amazing. It was something exactly as you're describing. That's because we were afraid of this quarter. So the quarter we're in right now and next quarter in North America, we lapped last year when Adidas had their problems. Right. When you all of a sudden saw a massive vacuum in the form of Yeezy shoes. You need to get through that. Nike did really well on the back of that. This was the fear. And so what they have suggested and what wholesale looks like it's going to be okay right now is you don't have this bottomless pit. And that's what people are worried about. And if they can show that, then we're just going to ask, okay, from a multiple perspective, it's going to be the same thing with the industry. But as long as that's okay, then you get further through that. And all of a sudden, China becomes an opportunity. China went from being amazing to being an anchor. You get closer to that being an opportunity. That's a faster growing and a healthier margin business. Are you comfortable buying here, holding here? Which? So I have a buy on stock. I think the reality is you have to be okay with the market to be okay buying anything right now. Mm -hmm. But as long as you're okay with the market, if you don't tell me the market's going to collapse, the answer is yes. All right. Simeon, thanks very much. Have a great holiday. Good to see you again, man. Appreciate it. Let's trade uh, Nike. Uh, Julie, why don't you take the first whack at the big swoosh? Yeah, no, I think I agree. It's, I think, 
for maybe a longer term investor, this is still one of the best position names. They really have a brand that makes sense. And I think his points really make sense to me in terms of, you know, if you've looked at the history of retail, we were benefiting from so much consumer demand and, and people just were buying indiscriminately. And now we're really going to see that companies that can produce differentiated merchandise, even at the same kind of customer cohort, whether it's luxury or the low-income consumer, we're seeing more and more divergence. And so you're going to be able to start separating the goddesses from the guys, right? The ones that really deliver value to customers versus the ones who are just kind of also rants. And I think that's normally how retail trades. It really is typically you have to eat what you kill and produce what you need to do. I think Nike is really unique in its ability to do that over the long term. It has been a style leader. It is the popular brand among kids uh, globally, I would say, in all likelihood. I think you're right. The brand is so much bigger than everything else that's out there. We used to talk about Under Armour competing or trying to eat the crumbs that fell off the table. Under Armour is down 10 percent year to date. Nike's only up 4 percent, even though it's ran pretty aggressively. But they have the brand. You know what else is rinse and repeat? Simeon said rinse and repeat. North America is strong, China's weak. He said China's been an anchor. All we need is China to improve a little, and Nike improves a lot. All right, let's uh, move on to options now. Options traders are feeling a little bit bullish about Nike's results with a ton of volume in the name today, and Mike Coe joins us with the action. What's going on, Mike? Yeah, so Nike's always a pretty busy uh, option, but actually it traded nearly three times its average daily call volume today. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 6% by the end of the week, higher or lower, but more are betting that it's going to be higher. The busiest contract were the March 125 calls. We saw nearly 8,400 of those trade for an average of about $5.70 a contract, and that included an institutional buyer of 4,000 who paid 570 earlier this morning. Uh, incidentally, we happen to own this name and Lulu, both on the Holly Index. All right, interesting. And you said, so it's a trader seeing it, Nike rising through the March expiration. Thank you, Steve, uh, Mike, excuse me, Steve. Uh, coming up, there, could there be a mega media merger on the horizon? So much for alliteration. Warner Brothers and Paramount reportedly in talks to join forces. What it could mean for the streaming landscape, for the studios and more next. Plus, one Wall Street firm says it's time to dial nine on AT&T. That one's for you, Guy. A look at why DFA. <laughs> thinks Ma Bell is ready to bounce back from the 20-year lows it hit this summer. Phone a friend. Tell him Fast Money's back in two. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Fast Money. Start stocks staging a late-day sell-off with the Dow and the Nasdaq snapping nine-day win streaks. The Dow falling 475 after notching a new intraday record earlier in the day. It was that kind of day. The highs were highs. The lows were low. The S&P and Nasdaq both falling a percent and a half. All three indexes having their worst days since back in October. The Russell 2000 small cap index also getting hit hard. That group down nearly 2%. And in percentage terms, that is one of the higher of the losses for the day. CNBC's Alex Sherman confirmed earlier reports of merger talk now between Warner Brothers Discovery and rival Paramount. 
Both stocks dropping on the news. Let's bring in Lightspeed Partners co-founder Rich Greenfield. Rich, you've been saying Paramount needs to find Gesundheit, whoever sneezed over there. I know. Wow. <laughs> needs a, I mean, a the virus. Nasdaq. And the, that, that, was a, that was a sneeze from Nasdaq. <laughs> Uh, you've been saying that Paramount needs a buyer and that legacy media's streaming playbook is not sustainable. Talk us through the logic behind this one and why Paramount seems so eager now uh, to put itself on the block. You're assuming that it's not just Paramount that's eager. I think this entire sector is facing really an existential crisis, right? I mean, linear TV is never getting better. Uh, advertising is in secular decline. Cord cutting is worse than these companies expected. Streaming losses are in the billions. I think this is really sort of uh, an aha moment, inflection point, watershed moment, you would call it, for the entire industry, where they're realizing there is no growth. They are in secular decline mode. And you're sort of seeing, you know, it's almost like when in that movie scene where everyone's like got their hands up in the air and they're screaming, running around in circles. They don't know what to do. And so I think you've got a ton of bankers. You've seen Disney throw out, hey, we're selling linear TV. Then they're not. We're trying to get out of Hulu. Maybe we'll buy Hulu. Now you're seeing BET. We'll sell that. Maybe we won't. We'll merge with Warner Brothers Discovery. Like, there is just nonstop merger. And I think all of that raises one massive question. How bad are numbers for Q4 for this industry, these companies, and what does next year look like? I mean, we've already seen Warner Brothers Discovery numbers. Originally, when they announced the merger between Warner and Discovery, they were looking at $14 billion of EBITDA in 2023. They're going to come in supposedly between $10.5 and $11 billion. We'll see whether that can grow next year. But I wonder whether the reason we're seeing merger talk is not just that Paramount's balance sheet is stretched, but that the entire industry, all of these companies are realizing next year is going to be a heck of a lot tougher. There are no green shoots in TV advertising. It is never, ever getting better. And I think that's probably why. The problem, though, as you said, putting these companies together doesn't fix the problem. Putting more linear TV and linear TV still makes a tough, challenging business, well, which is why the, the stock went the, down today. Before I slit my wrists at your <laughs> at your at your predictions for the business that we happen to work at, I, I, I was thinking exact same thing. How does this make it better if you take two kind of legacy operators and you smush them together? Why wouldn't one or both of them be running to somebody else uh, out there? You know who nope. I'm talking about in well, tech. No, no, no. But, let, but let's step. First of all, don't slit your wrists. Okay. There is many years. Margins are going to contract. The business is going to get tougher. But it isn't that bad. It's just going to be a, you know, a declining story. But I think the real answer is putting companies together is not the right answer. That is not fixing the problem. The problem is they can't compete with Netflix. They need to stop. They need to shut down these streaming services or scale them back dramatically. That's what we put out. We wrote a big piece yesterday that the streaming strategies of these companies is flawed. We thought they could go all in and go in and compete. They can't. Now it's time with balance sheets stretched, financials, you know, profitability in decline. These companies need to change course and do it immediately. I don't think putting one and one together right. doesn't get you more. Look at what's happened to WBD stock since the merger between AT&T and Discovery in terms of putting that Warner Media asset together with Discovery. Obviously, the stock is down 50 percent or so. Like, I don't think merging is not the answer here, even if it can clear regulatory. The real answer is let's take a, a tr dramatically different course in how we approach streaming. And let's focus on going back to what these companies are best at, mm -hmm. which is making great content, it's, whether it's, it's HBO, content, yes. Warner Brothers, make great content. 
stop trying to be a platform. I don't think that's what these companies, Paramount Plus was a bad idea. Let's just call it what it is. It was a bad idea and it's not working. Karen? Rich, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. So it would seem like this, this should be dead in the water, this idea, right, for the balance sheet issues, for other issues. Um, bankers that, like mergers. This is great bankers. for bankers. They make lots of fees on this, Karen. OK, I get that. I don't know if the holders of Warner Brothers Discovery want to do it again, do a big, expensive merger, take on a lot of debt. I guess they'd have to issue shares. I don't know that they could borrow cash to do this deal. I don't know. For a lot of reasons, we don't, before we even get to regulatory, which may or may not be an issue. But so you start to touch on a little bit. What should Warner Brothers Discovery be doing instead of sort of focusing? You said it's all about content, but content's expensive. They got about what, what do they do? So first, I also think you're missing one key stakeholder in this, the employees. Think about how many different mergers and transactions the Warner Brothers go back to the old Time Warner, which you probably remember, Karen, TWX. Like, think about what these employees have been through and the fight with AT&T. Like, I think that is not insignificant, like that this has been too much for too long for the employee base, which is not healthy. But let's put that aside for a second. What should they do? I, what we wrote yesterday, and I feel very comfortable with saying, is they should go back to HBO. Like, Max is not a core brand. People don't know what it means. I think the idea was good, but it's too late. It's not that it was a bad idea ever. It was just too late. Go back to HBO. Be the best HBO they can be. Don't try to be a Max global streaming platform. Have a small Discovery Plus for Discovery Plus fans. And then go back to what Warner Brothers has done forever which is be an incredible arms dealer of TV content and movie content to the entire industry and really lean into being an arms dealer the way Warner Brothers was up until they launched the Mac strategy. I just don't think with the balance sheet and the state of their you know earnings today, they can no longer do the plan that they would have done three and four years ago. And so I think a, a, a dramatic change in strategy is necessary now. And then on the cable network side, Run them for cash. Just literally run it out. Reduce cost, fire a ton of employees, and run those businesses for cash. Don't try to compete in the streaming wars. All right, Rich, tough prescription there. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time. Thank Let's you. trade this stock. I have to say, I was an employee of Time Warner for the first 22 years of my career. As I look at that company, uh, the old Time Warner or Warner Brothers, I cannot think of an enterprise that has gone through more bad deals than Time Warner Warner. Trying to make up for the gaping loss of... The gaping leaving. loss of this talent, exactly. Oh. <laughs> right. let's, trade, let's trade this... So, this so everything that, that Rich said makes me think that Netflix is a, is a stronger entity. It seems as though they're the only ones who have a winning recipe to this. When you look at it on a stock chart, I, I actually thought with the Screen Actors Guild, with, it, with, with that strike ending, there was a bunch of tailwinds <clears> for <throat> Netflix. And... I thought those were dissipating. Now, with everyone else struggling, it seems as though there's been a second, third, or fourth win for Netflix stock. So there's two players in this. Disney is a diversified play. It seems to be holding that little bit of a rally off the $80 level. And Netflix. Netflix, by far, is the best game in town. Everything else, tertiary. All right. Let's take a break. Uh, coming up, we're going to spill the tea on tea. Uh, that's some Gen Z lingo for those who don't know, like me, why analysts are getting bullish on the name in 2024. That's next. Plus, it could be a rough year in store for the pharma trade as drug prices come into focus, the political punching bag this group could become, and the names that could take a hit when Fast Money returns.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of CAT clawing their way to all-time highs today before pulling back amid the market sell-off. Meanwhile, the rival deer down more than 9% so far in 2023, what could be its worst year since 2015. Still, both stocks named top picks for 24 at Jefferies today. That firm saying machinery could be on track to see upside in the new year. So will Cat cut out the competition, or will it be the year of the deer guy? It's interesting. I think it was Stephen Volkman is the analyst at Jefferies. He commented about Caterpillar in November after they reported. He's been good. He's been steadfast, and the stock has been extraordinary, despite the fact that go back last quarter and see dealer inventories picked up and the stock fell off a cliff. People say valuation is compelling. I think they're going to have an inventory problem. I don't agree. I'll say this about John Deere, if you can pull up a chart real quick. We've had trouble at these levels a number of times. And all Caterpillar's been sort of parabolic. Deer can't get out of its own way. So I'd be cautious on both these names. All righty. Meanwhile, calling all telecom investors, one Wall Street firm picking a wireless winner for 24, Bank of America naming AT&T a top pick, saying the stock keeps showing up, proving durable in the face of healthy competition, rising inflation, new competitors. AT&T down today, but up more than 20% since hitting a two-decade low in July. Steve. Yeah, I mean, if you go back on a five-year chart on this one, it's been in a declining trend line forever. So it's almost like they picked this one on a dare. I, I can't understand how this could be the best idea that they're looking at right now. It's a laggard. It's the mother of all laggards. The stock is down 11% year-to-date. It has a dividend yield of about 7%. You could lose that dividend yield in a month. So I wouldn't be buying it for the dividend yield. I would be looking elsewhere for a future. But... If people are buying the laggards, you could come off zero pretty quickly. All right. Well, that's a clear opinion right there, Steve. Thank you. Coming up, folks, a case of the pharma blues. It's been a rough year for the sector. And with an election year just around the corner, more trouble could be ahead. We'll explain why when we return. And CNBC's David Faber will be speaking with Morgan Stanley's outgoing CEO, James Gorman. Catch that exclusive exit interview tomorrow morning. Fast Money comes back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Big Pharma, outside of the obesity drug makers, have been, has been struggling this year. And next year's elections could pose another hurdle for the group. CNBC's Angelica Peebles explains. Hey, Angelica. Hey, Tyler. Yeah, so two-thirds of voters are describing drug prices as a very important issue that they want to hear about on the trail. And that's according to a recent poll from the Kaiser Family Foundation. The Biden team sees this as a winning issue for them. They can say that they um, that last year Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act, which, remember, that lets Medicare negotiate the prices of some drugs. But the problem is that only one third of voters are aware of that policy. So expect to hear more from Biden to draw attention to that issue. And the Republicans don't look any friendlier. Trump as president pushed for policies like pegging drug prices here to what different countries pay. And other nominees like DeSantis and Haley are also talking about the need for reform. But despite all the noise, presidential election years actually haven't been as bad for biopharma stocks as you might think. We ran the numbers and found there's no significant difference in the performance of these stocks compared to non-election years. And that's not to say that something like Trump accusing drug makers of getting away with murder won't create some volatility. Tyler. All right, Angelica, thanks very much. Julie, let's trade the drug makers. What do you see here? And, and is the political conflict uh, around these companies um, likely to be a headwind for them? Yeah, I mean, we saw the impact of that already this year, where there was so much uncertainty and so much trading that happened around 
where CMS was going to end up in terms of, of uh, drug pricing. And so I think that actually continues because if you think about the drug manufacturers, they're kind of universally despised. They're like lawyers, right? And it's totally okay to hate on them. And I think that, that that's going to be a really easy punching bag for both sides of the political spectrum. And that's not going to be positive for them longer term. So I, I would be hesitant to be super invested in them, particularly because outside of GLPs, you know, their pipelines are not as robust as they have been previously. So for me, I'm, I'm a little bit hands off on this sector. Right, Steve, you go next and then Karen, we'll close it with you. Yeah. So lar a large cap pharma, we have the we have the uh, the GLP inhibitors. That's one aspect of it. They're trying to the majors in the pharma pharmacy world are trying to work their way out of the covid environment because they were too reliant on the vaccines that, that would be a Pfizer that nobody, would be exactly, a Moderna exactly. and, and in the GLP you're talking uh, Lilly largely right. among the American makers right so so you can you can play it with a Lilly on the pullbacks because we still don't know what that path is going to look like but if you really want to go deep water you go with an ETF and you go the XBI which is the small cap biotech index that's where you see the most M&A, and you don't have to be a genius on all of these little companies. You buy the ETF and hope one of them gets taken out. Final thought? Yeah, I'm long, and it's been painful this year. Mm. It's really underperformed. I do think it is scary to go into an election year. I think we'll probably get a chance to buy it better than where I am now, but I think there's so many names in here that are so cheap that it's hard for a value girl to stay away. To stay away. Right. Too tempting. <laughs> all right, folks, we're going to take a quick break, and up next we'll do some final trades. All right, let's give you one more look at the market today, if you're brave enough. Stocks selling off late in the day with the Dow and NASDAQ uh, snapping nine-day win streaks. As you see, the Dow Industrials, from about 2.30 on, it got real ugly. Uh, early in the day, uh, the Dow had set an all-time intraday high, but then down the ski slope it went uh, by one and a quarter percent. S&P 500 off uh, by one and a half percent, and NASDAQ one and a half percent on the button, folks. All right, I guess we can move on to the final trade, shall we? Let's do that. Uh, Julie, why don't you go first? Yeah, I, Heiko, HEI, recently reported quite good results, really solid double-digit growth. Profitability really is there. If you can look through some cost fluctu fluctuations, I think this is a good name for you. Heiko, okay. Karen? Yes, <clears throat> I'm going to go with ExxonMobil. I mean, so big, so powerful, so cheap. And then if you look at the balance sheet, so incredibly good versus where it was. A lot of cash flow there. Very, very cheap. Say stock. that about me. So big, so powerful, so, so cheap. cheap. I mean, it's just it's the way they go. Steve. Westrock, I think it's been my final trade for probably 30 times, but this one you'll thank me for when it doubles for my persistence. Legend. Yeah. And you know what else people got? say? Legend. Legend. Yeah. Thanks big, for being powerful, with us. Cheap legend. Paul Sam X ray there. Good looking man. Paul Sam Phillips uh, 66. All right, folks. <laughs> that's pretty much it for uh, Fast Money, Mad Money with Jim Kramer right now. Thanks. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.